take it for granted they will be. Well, turn your Bibles to Amos chapter number 6. And I want to talk to you tonight about the things becoming commonplace. Things that should never become commonplace. And um, the little book of Amos, I'll give you a minute to get there. It's over there, you know. Like me, after all of these years, get over the Old Testament, get past Daniel, and you just start flipping fast as you can until you come to it. And you'll find it there in a little bit. Amos chapter number 6. And our text for the message tonight is in verse number 1. And then we're going to look at several other verses here related to the message. Verse 1, Amos chapter 6. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Notice the first part of that. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And whenever we think about these people and how God had raised them up from the loins of Abraham, how God had established them and God had blessed them and God had used them in such a mighty way, it's just difficult to imagine how a people such as Israel could forget God and the Lord become, you know, uh, well, kind of old hat to them. But it happens even today. Things that should never become commonplace. The first thing, and I mentioned this first because it needs to be there, the first thing that should never be commonplace in our life is the sublime. By that, I'm talking about God and our worship of God. And uh, so many times it degenerates over a period of time to where, you know, we come and we sit and we hear the same songs, hear the same messages, but... We're just not moved by it anymore because we heard that before. So often told the story about years ago, my pastor was gone somewhere, and uh, so in his absence, they had a guest preacher, and this guy came in and just preached. I mean, the, the plain, simple gospel message, and uh, it couldn't have been any more simple than that. And, and I'll never forget, and I loved my pastor and his wife, but I'll never forget after the service, I was standing out there shaking hands, standing next to her. And uh, so as the people were coming out, she turned to me and she said, I don't know what he was trying to do unless he thought we all needed to get saved or something, you know. And uh, And I've never got over that. Why someone, a preacher's wife especially, would be critical of a man just preaching the plain, simple gospel. But since then, I've begun to realize that although a lot of people would never come out and say it, I'm afraid a lot of times people feel that way about things that are sublime. And they just, oh, man, I already knew that. I was hoping the message would be something different, more fun, more exciting. Look with me in verse number 21 of chapter 5, and I'll show you what I mean. And keep in mind, this is what the Lord said just before our text. Verse 21 of chapter 5, I hate. Oh, wait a minute, this is God speaking. Now listen to this. 
I hate, I despise your feast days and will not, uh, and will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Now notice, and let judgment run down his waters in righteousness as a mighty stream. You see, these people were religious, but they were not righteous. And let me tell you, one of the dangers for any preacher is for him over a period of time is to become uh, insensitive, for, for it to become just old hat. I love what Vance Havner said many years ago. He said, a preacher should have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, the height of a rhinoceros. And his biggest problem is how to toughen his hide without hardening his heart. And boy, he was right. Because so many times in order to isolate yourself and to build up a, 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 a defensive barrier to protect yourself, you know, a lot of times preachers will will become so hardened that they're not going to let anything get in, let anything bother them. And so they take on the attitude, look, it's my job to tell them the truth. I don't care what they do with it. I'm going to get up there and tell them the truth and walk out the door and leave and go home and forget about it, you know. And it's, it's all between them and God. And probably at some point in time, just about every pastor has at least momentarily felt like that. Let me tell you, if he stays like that, his ministry is over. His ministry is over. Someone asked Gypsy Smith years ago the secret of his freshness and his vigor and whenever he was an old, old man at that time, and he said, I never lost the wonder. I never lost the wonder. Wow. That, listen, that speaks volumes. I never lost the wonder. And how many times, you know, we just grow accustomed and we develop this professional attitude and, and as preachers sometimes lose the fear of handling God's precious Word. But, but this problem isn't just a preacher problem. This is a problem for all Christians. It can happen to anyone because a lot of times, you know, we, we grow so accustomed to the things of the Lord that we're like a little kid and their treatment of a, of a Christmas toy after the new wore off. You parents know what I mean. Here some kid whines and cries and wants this, you know, so bad, he's got to have this. And so, you know, finally you agree, well, I, you're going to have to stretch the budget a little bit, but I, I'm going to make sure, you know, the little brat gets it for Christmas. And so I shouldn't have said that. But, and so the kid gets, the, the you know, the Christmas present, rips it open Christmas morning, and I'm, within a week, you know, it's laying shattered and battered over in a corner somewhere. They don't want anything to do with it any longer. They're probably playing with the box now or something, you know. But but that can happen. 
It's kind of like a kid begging mom and dad, I want a puppy, I want a puppy, i got to have a puppy. Well, who's going to feed it? Oh, I'll feed it. Well, you know the rest of that story, don't you? It just doesn't get done. Well, I'm afraid a lot of times, you know, we're like the, we become like the people living in the mountainous areas, uh, whether it's, you know, in the Ozark Mountains or whether you go out to Colorado where they got the really real mountains out there. And, you know, people that have lived there all of their life, they just take that for granted. They they're, they're there. They're just there. I can remember preaching a, a meeting out at, right at the foot of Pikes Peak. Earl and Beverly Black, I'm sure. I think they had some relatives out there, if I'm not mistaken. That was years and years ago. But I can remember standing out there on the porch of that church and looking up there, looking right up Pikes Peak. And I, wow, how do you ever, how do you ever get used to that? I mean, that is so amazing. And, uh, but you know, when you live there all of the time, after a while, it's just, well, it's just there. And you lose the wonder of it. We do the same thing a lot of times whenever we sing Amazing Grace, but we're no longer amazed. We, say, we might sing Serve the Lord with Gladness, but then we gripe about what we have to do. We sing the wonder of it all, and uh, we've lost the wonder. Think about it. Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. How can you be at ease in Zion? How can you give God the leftovers and the second best? And notice what he said. I I won't accept any of your offerings. Wait a minute. God's the one that told him to bring these things. That's right. But God's not only looking at the act. He's looking at the attitude of their heart. God said, I don't want any of it. He said, oh, by by the way, I don't want to hear any more of the noise of your songs. He just called it noise. Wasn't anything pleasing to his ear. And that's what our songs become. It's just noise to God when our heart's not involved in what we're singing. Uh, I know one thing, whenever Tim gets up here and he says, let's sing Blessed Assurance, I already know Brother Ron's going to be emotionally involved and he's invested in that song. That song means something to him. Listen, what we sing ought to mean something to us. It's the way it ought to be. It ought to move our heart. And we should never lose the, the wonder. We should never allow that which is sublime to become commonplace in our life but there's something else that oftentimes becomes commonplace and that's the matter of suffering look in chapter 5 and verse number 11 for just a moment chapter 5 verse 11 and I want you to notice what had happened with these people verse 11 for as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor and you take from him burdens of wheat Ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Now look in chapter 6 and verse number 6. 
They drink wine in bowls, a goblet or, you know, a cup, and it's not good enough for them. They've got to have a bowl. Boy, if you read even before this, it talks about they lie upon the beds of ivory. They eat the lambs out of the flock that normally would be reserved for, for sacrifices. They chant to the sound of the violin and invent to themselves instruments of music. And notice that they drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. You see, suffering, poverty, sorrow... And those things have become commonplace to these people. They're no longer grieved at the, at the plight of those poor, hurting people. And I'm afraid in this day and age we think about mass media and everywhere we turn we're bombarded. I mean, it's the television, it's the radio, it's wherever you go, and, and we hear all of this bad news and we hear of all of these tragedies. It's an everyday occurrence. Two killed here, three killed here, another man shot in the parking lot over here, a little kid kidnapped, the body is found, and on and on and on it goes. And we've become so familiar with suffering that we've ceased to be touched by the horrible plight of other people. And our hearts have become calloused and our tears have dried up. And we no longer weep with those that weep. Well, that that is a sad thing to think of and remember over here in the book of Romans where he tells us that we're to rejoice with those that do rejoice and we're to weep with those that weep. In other words, we are to enter into the suffering of other people. I was sitting there and I happened to notice something, a little, just a little notation. And when, as far as I know, and I probably forgot something, but... I generally, in keeping just a rough outline of the messages I preach, and I'll put a date on it, July 1975, as far as I know, the last time I preached this message. The reason I remember that is because the notation, the notation had to do with the racehorse ruffian. Poor thing fell and broke its leg, ruined its career. And I can remember, you never heard so much. I mean, it's all over all of the news. Ruffian, you know, the famous racehorses broke its leg. How terrible, how awful. And yet on the very same newscast, there was just a fleeting brief mention of a little 13-year-old girl that had been raped and murdered the same day. All of all of this material on that broadcast about a racehorse. Am I making sense? I'm telling you that we have allowed the suffering of other people to become commonplace. We have even allowed that which is sublime to become commonplace in our life. It no longer moves us. But it doesn't stop there. Notice chapter 5 again, and let's pick up where we left off in verse number 12. And we find the third thing that should never become commonplace, and that's sin. 
Chapter 5, verse number 12, For I know your manifold transgressions, your notice, and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe, and they turn aside the port and the gate from their right. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. In other words, your life is on the line. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil, love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. You see, just as our eyes get accustomed to the dark, we become desensitized to evil. There's a phrase that Paul used in regards to sin. He said to the effect that sin by the commandment that it might become exceedingly sinful. You know, that's an interesting phrase, exceedingly sinful. We need to think about that because in our mind, you know, uh, we've got, uh, oh yeah, it's sin, but we don't see it as exceedingly sinful. And it was, yeah, it's bad, but oh, it's not all that terrible. Oh, I know it breaks the rules, but oh, it's no big deal if I do it. And uh, I guess it's our continual contact with corruption that makes us less and less sensitive to the vile, filthy sin around us. I remember my brother-in-law working at a rendering plant there in Springfield and talking about the fact that they'd they'd got all these dead horses they're bringing in there, you know, and they render them out. And you you, you can smell that place as you drive past it for miles. It's horrible and terrible. And and anyway, he was talking one day about the fact that he just sat down there and ate his lunch and didn't even notice the stench of it at all. You know, that's the way we become a lot of times in regards to the sinfulness of this world. It just becomes commonplace. I remember several years ago reading an actual quote from some of the Hollywood producers telling us in no uncertain terms that their plan, I wish I had the quote right here, they they simply put it into words and told us that they had an agenda in all they did, in everything they did. What, whatever show it was, you know, the, they had an agenda for that. It, it's not just to entertain you. They're selling you on an idea. Oh, wow. We've, you think Archie Bunker didn't have a purpose? It, it sure did. And you can just go on and you look at some of the shows because they start out and it's not ah oh, it's not that not that big of a deal you know after all it's just a TV show it's not real we don't have to get all excited about that nothing to get all upset about and so after a while you know uh, people start watching it and after a while the kids are watching it and they're hooked on it and after a while they're desensitized to the to the evil being presented. We've changed the names of it. Adultery, you know, we call that free love. 
drunkenness. We, we label that as alcoholism. It's just a, it's a disease. Homosexuality, oh, that's just an alternate lifestyle. Murder, or oh, temporary insanity. Allowing sin to become commonplace. Now, there's one other thing I want to mention tonight, and that's in chapter 6 and in our text. Verse number 1, I want you to notice carefully what it says again. Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. Uh, Here's what I'm talking about. Sometimes, sometimes we make the mistake of letting our security become commonplace. And they trust, notice, they trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. I wish I had time to really delve into that and talk about that a little more, but just for the sake of keeping it simple, just, you know, just picture in, you know, your mind the geographical significance of that. They're trusting in the mountain of Samaria. I mean, they're trusting in the fact that, that, that they, are, they are located and situated in such a place that, that they're safe from all harm. The enemy can't get to them. They are empowered by where they're at. And after a while, the danger is they have become comfortable in their security. You know, Lot made that mistake. Samson made that mistake. David made that mistake. And here in this case, the prosperity of Israel led to their greed and to their laziness that's mentioned there in verse number 4. You know, they lie upon the beds of ivory. They stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stalls. Their prosperity had spoiled them all in spite of the fact that God had given them a stern warning years before. Turn over to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 for just a minute. Deuteronomy chapter number 28. And I want you to notice the warning that God gave to these people. Verse 47, Deuteronomy 28. The Lord said, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness, and gladness of heart. Wait a minute. How about you? Are you serving the Lord at all? Are you a participator or a spectator? Are you even serving the Lord? But this goes beyond just serving the Lord. He said, well, listen, what is about to happen it's not because you wasn't serving me. Notice he says it's because you didn't serve me with joyfulness and with gladness. So how about that? Are you serving the Lord with joy in your heart and gladness in your life? And notice he said, because you haven't done that, for the abundance of all things, therefore... Shall thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things? And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Wow, what a warning that is. 
And the sad thing is they didn't listen. And if you go over to the book of Lamentations, chapter number 1, wow. All of that came to fruition just as God said that it would. God had given them a warning and God wasn't playing games. When God says something, He means what He says. And He warned them about this. And there in the book of Lamentations, you see the weeping prophet pouring out his heart as he thinks about the condition of his people that had ignored these warnings from God. They had allowed that which is sublime to become commonplace. They had allowed the suffering of others to become commonplace. They had allowed sin to become commonplace. And now... They're conquered by a foreign heathen power, destroyed to the point that the mothers are eating the flesh of their own children to survive. God's people resorting, not just resorting to cannibalism, but eating their own children. That's how bad it was simply because they had ignored all of these warnings. Now, I hope you get the picture and I hope you see the danger, but I want to just briefly mention and think about for a moment, what causes this? What causes people to get accustomed to amazing grace and and all of our blessings? What causes us, you know, to just walk in the building every Sunday and look around and, you know, and just grow accustomed to all of this? It just, you know, a year, two years down the road, that might happen. We're excited about it now, but later on we might walk in and we don't even think anything about all of the work, all of the money and everything that's been invested in this. Don't even think about that. We just assume it'll always be there. So what causes that? Well, it can be a number of things. Number one, let me mention this. I think it's when we're moved by pleasure rather than principle. We're moved by pleasure, what, what, what feels good, rather than by principle. Number two, it's when we are impressed, but we're not moved. It's like that song that, that Bev sang, I'm so tired of being stirred but not changed. Let me tell you, that's dangerous. For God to move on your heart, for God to stir up something in your heart, and then for you not to act on it, you're putting yourself in danger because impression without expression leads to depression. God speaks to your heart about something, you need to act on it right then. Number three, whenever we fail to meditate upon God's Word, then these things become commonplace. You neglect the Word of God, and and I'm telling you right now, whether it's me or you or whoever, you neglect the Word of God, you're going to start on a downhill journey. Your spiritual life is going to begin to deteriorate, and that's going to affect everything else about you. But then there's another thing, and I'm going to end with this. Whenever we think about our burdens more than we do about our blessings, we're guilty of that, aren't we, so much of the time? 
we sit down and think, you know, maybe it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's uh, sit down in the rocking chair or whatever, and we're just sitting there thinking, and, and, and our mind is on all of our problems and all of our grief and all of our burdens instead of thinking about all of our blessings. And we forget, we forget that God doesn't owe us a thing in the world. Doesn't know us anything. It's all but grace. And yet we're all we're all we're all tempted every day to allow Satan to shift our focus to where we're just thinking about our burdens. Oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And after a while serving God becomes a drudgery. It's just well, I've got to go to church tonight or, you know, whatever. Let me tell you, you know, you know you're getting yourself in trouble whenever you start thinking about all of the burdens instead of the blessings. You're headed for trouble. Listen, fight against this, folks. Don't allow these things to become commonplace in your life. Don't keep doing business as usual. Deal with it. Let's stand together. Father... Forgive me of the many times in my life that I've uh, that I've handled your word with with even with a calloused heart, and the times that I've preached about your love and and even had uh, at least a hint of bitterness in my heart towards someone else, and many times and ways in which I've failed you. And God help us to help us to not allow these things to become commonplace whenever we sing amazing grace may it really be amazing when we see our brothers and sisters suffering god help us to to be moved and to have empathy for them help us heavenly father to be shocked at the sight of sin to run from it and stay away from it and avoid it at all costs Lord, tonight, if you're moving on our heart in some way and speaking to us about things that are amiss in our life, help us to not be impressed about it without acting on it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's